Over the years, our dad taught us a lot of valuable lessons. Some of them stuck, and some of them didn't. Dad taught us how to tie a tie. Dad taught us how to grill the perfect steak. He told us it was important to share. And when we were old enough, he taught us how to shave. He also taught us the importance of keeping in shape. Dad taught us how to be wise with our money. He made sure we grew up being skilled with a hammer. He even taught us how to make the perfect cup of coffee. Dad also taught us what it means to love your wife. He taught us how to pray, and Dad taught us how to grow in wisdom. So whether you're just like your dad, or totally the opposite, this is the man who helped make you who you are, and the legacy he leaves with you will last forever. that you've joined us this morning as we celebrate Father's Day under the theme, Following in My Father's Footsteps. Uh, I am your MC for the morning. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to start off this morning by sharing some stories about fathers in Calvary Bible Church, and naturally, I will start off with a story about my father. Uh, my father was completely lost in the kitchen and never ate unless someone prepared a meal for him. When mother was ill, however, he volunteered to go to the supermarket for her. She sent him off with a carefully numbered list of seven items. Dad returned shortly, very proud of himself, and proceeded to unpack the grocery bags. He had one bag of sugar, two dozen eggs, three hams, four boxes of detergent, five boxes of crackers, six eggplants, and seven gallons of milk. He followed the numbering specifically. You get it? Ah, yes. Don't have to wait until you go home to get that joke. Okay. Uh, very nice. Uh, Father, God, we thank you so much for, for this day where we uh, have a special opportunity to remember our dads and all that they do for us many times without uh, uh, fanfare or recognition. So, Lord, we just thank you for this time today. And, Lord, we thank you for being our father. Um, you are who we get that name from, Father. And so, God, we thank you for all the ways that you are a father to us. May we always remember uh, how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. First up on our schedule this morning will be uh, Jaden. Well, actually, we have three. Uh, Elizabeth Cates, Hannah Percenti, and Jordan Farkason with poems that they will 
Walk a little slower, Daddy. I'm a little child so small. I am following in your footsteps, and I don't want to fall. Sometimes your footsteps are very fast. Sometimes they are hard to see. So walk a little slower, Daddy, for you are leading me. Someday when, I, when I'm all grown up, you're what I want to be. Then I'll have a little child who'll want to follow me. And I... And I would want to lead just right and know that I was true. So walk a little slower, Daddy, for I must follow you. Did I ever say thanks for all the toys you mended, games we played, outings in the park, and the way you always tried to train me when I was down? Did I ever say thanks for the sacrifices you made so I could be involved involved in so many enriching activities? I ever say thanks for working so hard to provide for our family? Did I ever say thanks for having such faith in me and being there when I need you? Most of all, did I ever say thanks for caring? Dad, I love you. Happy Father's Day! And so right now we're going to have uh, Megan Knowles come and give us a speech about practical fatherhood. Good morning, church. Um, I'm actually here for the question and answer portion of our (laughs) service. (laughs) Not a speech. Um, Can the three fathers please come? Okay. um, I have here a bowl with ten verses, and each of the fathers has seen them. They're going to pick one, and they're going to share with the church just how they've applied this verse in their parenting, their grandchildren, and their children. Okay, so first, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Tilda Bethel. And how many children do you have? Two. How many grandchildren do you one. have? One. <laughs> okay, you can pick your first verse. If you don't like it, you can throw it back one. Okay, his verse is Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, actually, if I didn't believe that God answered prayer, I would believe it now. Because as I was home, going over all the different verses this morning before I came to church, I prayed. I said, Lord, please help me to get this verse, Proverbs 22, verse 6. I'm not kidding. That's the truth. Anyway, because this verse has meant a lot to me, and um, over the years, it's been very difficult really seeing how... That could really be true, but I always remember um, with bringing up my children, you know, in the teenage years, there's a lot of problems, and we certainly had our share of problems during the teenage years, and I always used to wonder, God, how can this be true? If I tr- but if I train them up, bring them up in the way that they should go, they will not depart from it when they become old. And I always used to talk with Sister Vivian Obi. I don't know how many of you remember her. She was like a spiritual mother to me, a guide, an advisor, and she always used to tell me the same thing when I would go to her with problems with the kids, and she would say, Tillman, train them up in the way that they should go, and when they become old, they will not depart from it. And God has answered that prayer, and they are now 37 and 35, and I can see where God has used me during my years of being their father, and I hope that he'll use me the same way with my granddaughter. Thank you. 
father. Can you say your name? Can you hear me? My name is David Albrey. And how many children do you have? I have four sons. Do you have any grandchildren? I have uh, 18 grandchildren. Wow. I have 17. Richard adopted one out of the Ranfurly homes. Oh, that's very nice. So we have 18. Okay. Can I take care of this? I hope this is a good verse. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6-7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. I prepared a little speech for all of these verses. I'm not long-winded like some of the long-legged fellows that preach here, so, so I, I'm going to keep it short. Um, I trained my children in my home as best as I could. We, we taught them the Word of God. We had morning devotions with them, we had evening devotions with them, and I always taught them godly principles. And I tried to live by that, and I tried to, I'm a quote you like Richard tells the kids at Camp Bahamas, I tried to walk the talk. I tried to live it in front of my children. And um, I prepared some notes here, but, uh, and... You know, and the, what he said is true. You train a child properly, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And you teach them the principles. And what I want to refer you to, I like the verse I picked, but Malachi is a better chapter because it gives you the history of Israel, how they turned from God, and how God, you know, how, how he took care of them in, in their trouble. We're supposed to turn to our fathers. When children do something wrong, they come to you, they turn to the Father, they come and ask what they should do. And this is why you should have godly principles and teach them the word, where you can give them the word, and then they see it in action in your life. And this is what Jeannie and I tried to do. And also, Malachi 2.15 says that we're put here on earth for two reasons. We're put here to seek God, to seek a godly seed, to glorify God and to seek a godly seed. Well, that's what we tried to do. We tried to raise a godly seed. And um, we, uh, you know, in the Greek word in that same verse about glorify God and, and, and raise a godly seed and talking about presiding over your children means rule over them well. And the same word is used in Hebrews 13:7 means those who rule over you, they teach you the word of God. And that's what we're supposed to do. Teach them the word of God. And... The, the history of the Israelites' failures is, is well known. The father's hearts were turned from the way from their kids. And what this means is a lot of times your kids come to you when they've got problems, and I'm not criticizing anyone, but a lot of people, uh, they're involved in business, they're involved in deals, they're involved in worldly things, and they tell the children, I don't have time for you. Well, this is what they did in the book of Malachi. The hearts were turned from their children. And we're supposed to have our hearts, we're supposed to be there for our kids, to listen to them, to give them counsel. Now, my wife and I, we grew up with godly parents, and we tried to raise our four boys the same way. Good morning, church. As you could very well see, all I have left is about 15 seconds. <laughs> and uh, the sermon has been preached for the morning, so after I speak, you could all leave, huh? and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Is my, oh. All right.
The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, verse 15. Well, there's a lot of talk about bringing up your children and how you should train them. And some people take it physically. I mean, they, they beat the living daylights out of the children. <clears throat> I have not been a beating dad. My wife will tell you, I'll talk them to death. And so if they don't want another lecture and they don't need ten examples of why something should not be done, then don't do it again. So it's in bringing up my children, and of course my name is Clem Foster. I have two children and one grand. <clears throat> I have always taken the position that if I could get them to understand why I disapprove of something that they have done or something that is being done, then it leaves a message with them. And I'll, I'll give you a very practical example. When my daughter, who of course is now a woman, was maybe about four, she sat with a hairpin one day going to push it into the electrical socket. And I saw her just in time. Now, I could have grabbed her away and told her, you know, all sorts of things. But you know what I did? I said, stop there. And she stopped with the, just about to push it in. She stopped right there. And I sat on the floor with her right in front of that socket. And I gave her a full explanation as to why she should not do what she's doing and so on. And I was not too sure that this message stayed with her until maybe about three months later. One of her cousins came by and just leaned up close to that socket. And she gave her the same lesson that I, <clears throat> she gave her the same lesson that I did. So, you know, you realize that you have to talk to your children. The rod isn't always a physical stick or belt. Sometimes the rod is simply correcting things in such a way that you leave a total message with the children and uh, for, for the, the piece about um, the child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother, it won't be Shirley <laughs> it, 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 won't be, it won't be Shirley, um, you know, because my sermon is ended here yeah. <laughs> let's give all our dads a round of applause thank you very much, happy Father's Day
again. I just want to share a story from an article from Christianity.com, and its title is Father Really Does Know Best. And so just, 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 um, just follow along with me as, you know, as I read it. And it says, all right, I'll admit it. I'm old enough to remember watching Father Knows Best, Donna Reed and Ozzy and Harriet on TV. But is that really so bad? I was the oldest of three children and the only girl, and I adored my dad. He was my first hero. My husband is my second. And there were several reasons for that. One of my first memories is of the day we moved into a brand new house, the one my dad had worked on during his off hours for many months. I was three years old. I stepped out of, I stepped out of the hot sun and into the entryway, immediately grateful for the cool air inside and impressed that my dad had accomplished such a thing. It was also about this time that I began having severe asthma attacks, often ending up with pneumonia and having to be hospitalized on many occasions. That was before the days when employers of the government provided health insurance, so my health care was strictly my parents' responsibilities. I may have been young, but I somehow realized that my going to the hospital meant that my already hard-working father would have to work even more hours to pay the bills. Because of that, I tried not to show how really sick I felt, but eventually my dad would come into my room and say, I think it's time to take you to the hospital now. Then he carried me to the car as I considered how much he very much loved me to do such a thing. In addition to being a hard worker who nearly always kept two jobs in an effort to provide for us, Dad was a disciplinarian and had high moral standards. He drilled us on math and geography and helped me practice with spelling bees, even when he was exhausted from a long day's work. And as a result, I learned to set high standards for myself and to pass them on to others. If we were capable of A's, he did not accept B's. And yet, if we were able, and yet, if we are to believe the picture that is painted on fathers in today's society, I have to say that my father's generation was the last of that exemplary breed. TV sitcoms today are a far cry from the father knows best era, where dad was admired and respected. Most of the fathers on television today can't tie their own shoes without a woman's help. Even commercials show husbands having to ask permission before eating yogurt from the refrigerator. It is, that, is that really the picture we want to paint for impressionable children who spend far too many hours glued to TV sets? Call me old-fashioned. Seriously, go ahead. I don't mind. But I'm concerned about the shift I've seen in our culture regarding our view of men, fathers in particular. Not only are they often portrayed as helpless buffoons, but in many cases they are reduced to unnecessary annoyances. Who needs a man around when Superwoman is already there to run things? Even the children on most TV shows know enough not to ask dad for anything except money because only mom has enough brain power to answer their questions. And all she has the authority to grant them permission. And only she has the authority to grant them permission. Mom is in charge and if dad dares to challenge her, that assertion, he will have repented by the end of the program. How sad, now admittedly, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Neither mom nor dad was a true believer at that time, though both had raised, were raised with some religious training. 
My dad even had a German mother who taught him of Jesus, because you know they don't say J, like we say J, um, as she called him. But dad had drifted away from the teaching of his childhood. His moral standards, however, lined up with what he had learned from the scriptures, and he did his best to institute them in our home. We had also had the advantage of growing up during a time when prayer and Bible reading were still allowed in school. So we had at least a smattering of Christian understanding mixed in with our own moral upbringing. Our home was a home of absolutes. Situational ethics just didn't cut it. Some might call it harsh. I look back and call it love. Though it was some years after I grew up and left home that our entire family came to Christ, it was Dad's uncompromising values while we were children that gave us a moral compass on which to base our lives. How saddened I am when I see so many young people today who seemingly have no such standards or guidelines, no compass to point them to whom seemingly, no compass to point them in the right direction. Can we really be surprised when so many of them seem lost? How different might it have been if we returned to the teachings of the scriptures, particularly Ephesians 5 and 6, where it so clearly outlines God's purpose and order for family relationships. Wives are to respect their husbands, children are to obey their fathers, and men are to sacrificially love their wives and bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Somehow we have gotten it all backwards, especially on TV. Women do not respect their husbands, and children certainly don't obey their parents, and no one in the sitcoms bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord. For the most part, even in Christian homes, that scriptural training of children is done by the mothers. As I said, call me old-fashioned, but I miss the days of Father Knows Best. Even without a Christian father, I was blessed to be loved by a man with high standards and moral values, and for that, I will always be grateful. The man I call Daddy will always be my first hero, and because he finally returned to Jesus, Jesus in the last week of his 88 years on this earth, I know I will see him again one day soon. I know how I look forward to it. God is God in his infinite wisdom and unconditional love gave me the perfect dad, just the one I needed so I can grow up and become the woman I was meant to be. And for that, I thank my Heavenly Father, the one who truly knows best. So just before I open us in a word of prayer, I just want to encourage those who have lost their fathers to pray to God that he would uh, through his providence, provide a godly man to, to step in and be that father figure for you who would point you to Christ. And for those who have not lost their fathers physically, um, but may have lost their fathers spiritually, that you will also pray uh, for that father so that he will actually come to know Christ and, and become that man of God that he needs to be so that he can become that father to you that God will want him to be. And for those who have fathers... Um, as we you know, we have such a selection in, in our assembly today, and that's something that we should be thankful for, to continue to pray for those fathers who are indeed being that godly father figure for you, because um, our godly fathers are 
constantly under spiritual attack. There's spiritual warfare going on constantly. So constantly keep them in prayer as well. Today's challenge uh, will be from Ephesians 4. Uh, but let's just pray before we turn there. Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for a day that we can gather together and, and honor our fathers. Um, it, it's such a, uh, an essential, important role that you've established. And so, Father, as we come before your word today, uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. Uh, pray that you will certainly minister the hearts of the fathers in here and the fathers to be as well. So pray that your word will go forth with clarity and that our hearts will be challenged. And as your name we pray. Amen and amen. So a very familiar passage of scripture that we've heard over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's actually in the bulletin as well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And along with the theme, following in your father's footsteps, I believe the best legacy that a father can set for their children um, is indeed uh, uh, footsteps that not only um, lay a path of what they have done, but footsteps that will actually lead their children to Christ. Uh, because ultimately, our Heavenly Father is that model we should follow and if our earthly fathers would passionately pursue to fulfill in some way um, that model, um, then that's an incredible legacy for them to leave behind. So in verse 4, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. So verse 4 gives specific directions to fathers in upbringing their children. You know, first thing is, don't enrage your children. Second thing is, but nourish them in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Um, so what does this mean for the earthly father? You know, the earthly father must actively and passionately and insatiably pursue Christ. Because the more the earthly father pursues Christ, the more he's led, he's led to the Heavenly Father. And the more he's led to the Heavenly Father, the more the Heavenly Father would draw to him. And the more the Heavenly Father draws to the earthly father, the more intimate their relationship becomes. And the more intimate their relationship becomes, the more the earthly father will reflect the character attributes of the Heavenly Father. And albeit, fathers will fail time and time again, but if their failures will be compared to their, their pursuit of exalting Christ in their life, of their pursuit of honoring God, then I believe this will be a lasting imprint. And this lasting imprint is that imprint of whether through their failures or their victories, that their end desire would be that I will exalt Christ in my life, then that lasting imprint will be one of a good thing for them to leave behind for their ch children or their child. So Paul urges fathers, don't embitter your children, right? So whether it's through favoritism, as we've seen with Isaac and Esau from the Bible, as well with Jacob and Joseph, and we know how those situations turn out, or whether through discouragement, whether it's emotional or even physical, 
um, discouragement or neglect, as we see uh, uh, with David and Absalom, and then how that situation unfolds, or even the lack of healthy, loving discipline, as we also experience uh, from the account of Eli and his sons. So Paul is saying, don't, you know, that word there, provoke, you know, in the original language, like, don't make angry. Don't make your children angry. And of course, that doesn't mean that you don't set healthy parameters, right? You know, if your child comes and has a red cape on and says, you know, I'm going to jump off the roof because I want to fly like Superman, you know, and you say no, and they know they're like, I want to be Superman. You're like, you are not Superman. You can't jump off the roof. And they will be angry, right? Uh, but there's healthy, loving, uh, um, instructional, disciplined things that you must do. Um, but your children will still be angry, but that's not what Paul is saying. It's just don't oppress them. Um, you do have an authoritative, authoritative figure in the home established by God, but use that authority to nourish your child, but not to oppress them. And the best way to nourish them, the best way to bring them up, and that's what that word is there, you know, ectrepho, the best way to nourish them, as Paul indicates, is in the discipline. And I know we've heard, when I was up here um, several months ago, and we were talking about that word discipline. And, and that's not, again, like I said, uh, the three fathers who are up here just completely, uh, this is just like a reiteration of what they were sharing. You know, but that's not the, the beat you down discipline. You know, that's the upbringing training uh, uh, meeting behind that word, paideia. You know, it's the training and, and responsible living. So Paul is saying, train them up to live responsibly. So the best way to nourish them in the discipline and in the instruction, uh, which is the admonition, the, the sincere advice, the sincere warning of, hey, this is how you need to live to honor God. So Paul says, don't impress, don't oppress your children, right? Uh, but nourish them. And when you think of nourishing, you think of love and compassion, right? Like, I don't like... Those small, and I'm sorry if I'm going to offend anyone, but I don't like those small little dogs, right? I, I, okay, I'm not going to say because I don't want <laughs> you don't want to offend anyone. That if you do have them, that's great. Uh, I'm not knocking you, right? But just as an example, just trying to be transparent here. I really don't like those small little dogs, right? So Jen knows that I will never, ever adopt a small little dog like that and nourish it, because that's just not going to happen. But for those who do, you know, you, you get out a little baby, you give it milk, and you give it like a canned food at the beginning, because the teeth is not that strong to eat the heart, you know, dog food and stuff like that, right? You nourish it, you give it bath, you take it to the veterinary. So you think of nourishing, you think of, you know, love, care, affection. And that's what Paul is saying for fathers, for, for what you need to do, uh, or what you need to be towards your, your children. Nourish them. Nourish them in discipline, nourish them in destruction of the Lord. Because, like I said in the beginning, that is indeed the lasting legacy you will want to leave behind your children. You know, physical things are great. Name recognition are wonderful. But if you can leave a lasting legacy of, of your footsteps leading towards Christ, your life being solely purposeful of exalting Christ in your life, honoring God in your life, then that's what they will see. That's what they will model. And if they follow those footsteps, those footsteps will lead them 
through Christ to their heavenly Father. So as I close, I said I will be brief. As I close, how does what does this look practically like? You know, yeah, okay. Paul says, don't oppress them, nourish them, nourish them in the discipline and and the instruction of the Lord. What does that really look like practically? And here's just some of my suggestions. You know, I'm not a I'm not a dad yet. Um, that's not a hint into anything, right? Um, but here's just here here's some of my uh, suggestions and thoughts. Maybe just more deliberate time leading family devotions and Bible study. Maybe more deliberate time spent with your family, modeling that headship. And not um, just modeling the headship in the home, but also that Christ-like headship um, that shows love towards your wife and your kids. And maybe just being more transparent before your children to reveal your, you know, your moment-by-moment utter dependence on God. Because being a godly father doesn't mean you need to be perfect. Being a godly father means that you have purposely set out to reflect the character of God both through your failures and through your victories so that the footsteps, like I've said before, that you leave behind for your children would be footsteps that track behind your Heavenly Father. And I believe if our Christian fathers today purpose to nourish their children from the Word of God and to have this as their margin to measure them by, that indeed as their children grow up and they look at their heavenly fathers who is purposing to model this, then that will point them and lead them towards their heavenly father an eternal legacy left behind. So my encouragement and, and my challenge to fathers here and, and, and fathers-to-be is to exalt Christ in your life, is to pursue passionately um, after your heavenly father because those footsteps that your children will see uh, will not be footsteps that just lead to you, um, but will be footsteps that lead them to Christ and that lead them to an image that is purpose on honoring the Heavenly Father, uh, who is your Father forever. Amen? Amen.